and we're live so guys thank you everyone on instagram here on youtube somewhere else thank you so much and thank you tim mcmillan for agreeing to do this it's uh, much appreciated no absolutely man it's great uh thanks for having me on i, I know uh disclosure team has, has been a big fan of the debrief stuff so i've had my eye on you guys and so it's it's nice to finally get a chance to sit down and chat thank you so much i appreciate that yeah we've been uh definitely paying you guys a lot of attention um big fan yeah so let's talk about the debrief what prompted you to start it or, sure or we can also jump back maybe even a bit further into your career beforehand if you want sure yeah uh it's uh, it's kind of a mixed bag of happenstances and accidents <laughs> um yeah i my professional background uh for the bulk of which i spent my career was in law enforcement and so almost uh, about 17, almost 18 years, uh, I was a law enforcement officer in Georgia, uh, near Savannah, Georgia, um, where I was mostly uh, investigations, violent crime investigations, um, also did intelligence analysis. So criminal intelligence analysis and domestic intelligence, national security stuff. And then uh, in addition, fine, I ended my career out in, in, as the assistant uh, patrol commander. So in a management position a boring unfun position and that's where i spent you know that's kind of my background um right. after after getting out of law enforcement i did a little stint as a intelligence analyst for a private firm before uh i decided to you know i'd always had a passion for writing and in addition to investigating i mean like it's uh, i got into law enforcement because i like solving mysteries right. and so I, I wanted i figured i'd throw my hat into trying to uh do investigative reporting you know and figure what you know and it just so happened to kind of time out uh, to when things were really kicking off for the whole 2017 New York Times and everything's in the news and the, the Pentagon is, is talking about UFOs. And I remember seeing this stuff and thinking, man, this is a big deal. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I had an interest in the subject uh, preceding that uh, after I, ironically enough, had had, had my own sighting you know it's uh categorically unidentified but i won't say that it's uh, near as dramatic as some other people's but you know i've seen something that was weird in the sky i still don't have a prosaic explanation for and so i had this kind of interest in it and so suddenly when the topic uh, they're talking about the department of defense and kind of you know having some background in that world of the defense and intelligence i thought man this is a big deal this is this is <laughs> And uh, I didn't really, I, I didn't feel like there was there was a lot of good investigative reporting on that. I, I didn't see a lot of people digging into it. Uh, you know, there was just kind of this, um, you know, what we would call quick hit news pieces. So they're just yeah. kind of report. You know, they're just reporting, but nobody's digging per se. And so I thought, yeah, I could do this. <laughs> so uh, you know, they just kind of. Um, yeah F fools don't have enough to to be afraid i just figured out i'll try it out what the heck and uh ended up you know writing for popular mechanics vice uh, a little bit for the war zone and uh, the nash or the washington examiner before finally once again saying you know what well, i think we could do this let's launch our own thing <laughs> so jumping in and founding the debrief nice and were you in america at the time when, when all that sort of kicked off yes i was in america at the time i, I actually I, I live in germany now and so have been in germany now for two years that's my right. wife works for the department of defense so that that also i think um 
really helped things. It was really a strong impetus to make you leap um, into doing in a, into us launching the debrief and even me writing full time. It's because suddenly I'm in Germany, you know, where you know there's a few, you know, I could go work at the air base or something like that. But I was like, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to to maybe pursue the dream. And and uh, so that's what uh, got us launched into the the whole debrief. Is really this. Uh, it, it, the debrief in itself, to answer that kind of first question that you said, you know, what is the debrief? You know, our tagline is rebelliously curious, and, and it kind of encapsulates what we look at, who we are, both, uh, you know, all of us as the founders and as everybody that we have on the team as it's kind of grown in that uh, there's a lot of very interesting things, not just UFOs or UAP. You know, that's a very small fraction of what we do, yeah. although I think we we're well known for it, uh, uh, hopefully for the good reasons that we've done some good reporting on it. But uh, there's a lot of other things, you know, that's fascinating. This this cutting edge breakthrough science, people who are looking at things that will, you know, what we call disruptive technology. You know, it's the, the equivalent of the car, you know, replacing the horse and buggy. Like this is a disruptive. I mean, you, you think about how much that's changed the world around you or sure. even the Internet. Right now, you know, us having a, the ability to, to not only have a live conversation, we're having a live conversation on like three different social platforms right now. Like <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and so we thought there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's out there kind of on the cusp. And we want to dig into that. And so that was our idea. You know, and when myself, uh, my fellow co-founders, Micah Hanks and MJ Benias, MJ and I had been writing for Vice together for a while. And uh, I think like like most people who want to start their own business, we're like, I want to do our own thing. Like we want to, we, we felt that there is this segment of the population who's interested in breakthrough science, space, uh, you know, sci-fi meets science fact, UAP, like, you know, this kind of collective, they're interested in all of that. And I said, you know, there's not really a good medium that, that can, somebody can just go to as a one-stop shop. And so, yeah, we said, what the hell? Let's 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 go for it. <laughs> and and that's that's the origin story behind us. It's it's a group of friends. I call ourselves the Goonies. Basically, we're still hunting one eye Willie's treasure here. We're, we're just <laughs> <on> an adventure. <laughs> no, I like that a lot. That's awesome, man. I think it's good to hear those kind of stories as well because you know it's just a it comes out of passion as well. Just something it's like we've got to if you don't try it, you never know where it might go. So Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's 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 like anything. You launch a business, there's ups and downs. Um, and it, it's a lot of work, a lot more work than people uh, realize. I think uh, some of the some of the best compliments I, I see are actually probably not intended that way, because we'll, we'll see people that are like, I the debrief is state sponsored CIA media, all this stuff. And I'm like, OK, we're not. But I'm thinking, wow, that's at least people view it as as you know, a, a, a professional organization that's backed by a government or something. Yeah. And so that's good, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, everything that everybody sees really represents the growth of just a group of people and, and just sweating it out and working hard. And so it's nice to kind of think, I think we've been, you know, we've exceeded our expectations for kind of year one. And, and it's nice to to be able to do that and then not also be beholden to some kind of media conglomerate. You know, we have a lot of freedom to report on stuff. We don't have, uh, there's nobody above us saying, oh, that's dumb, don't report on that, or don't look into that. 
because you know there's some interesting stuff that maybe wouldn't be covered but did you know there's science there's fact behind it it's not crazy but uh, it's interesting stuff yeah absolutely but do you find yourself getting contacted by the mainstream as well yes yes i mean that i think that was um that was one of my kind of proudest moments because we, you know, obviously we launched with the debrief last November with with a pretty big UFO UAP story of the government, and uh, you know I, I said when we did that, um, you know that's kind of been my, my focus when it comes to this topic is trying to report on it, uh, you know, just like you would any other topic. So any other mainstream news. And uh, I said, let's just do it. Let's do it without the, the little green men and the kooky little X-Files theme music. Let's do it like it's serious. And it was uh, one of the things that was, uh, I really enjoyed was that, you know, months later, you know, six months or so ago, uh, just before the um, actually just a couple months ago, before the, the June preliminary assessment came out. Suddenly, uh, I w- you know, a lot of media outlets. So suddenly, right. some of the big names that, that people would be very familiar with, um, you know, in- including some of the big name shows, were calling saying, "Hey, can we set up a meeting? Can I talk to you? Like, I- we need you to get us up to speed." And and it was nice to to talk to the producers of some you know very well known uh, you know news television programs or well known reporters to sit there and say, "Well, yeah, I mean, you you guys did it. You showed it can be done." Like you showed that it can be covered in a 60 minutes, Ken Burns style, serious uh, format. And so that, that, that made me feel good. It, it's nice to see, you know, and, and it was nice to be able to have that topic and bring it forward, both for people who are very interested in the topic. Um, it, I liken it a lot. I look back on it as kind of like a lot of these um astrophysicists that you'll hear that, that started studying dark matter and, and black holes. Well, they did it because nobody else was. And they're like, yeah, yeah I'll look into it. And now it's something that's mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. We're just sticking with the kind of the, the June 25th preliminary assessment and that. How did you feel, in, you know, when it was announced 180 days prior to that? Did you set your expectations in a, at a particular level or or hopes? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I um, and I've and I said this, and I think it maybe surprised people is that when it came out, frankly, it exceeded my expectation. <laughs> you know, I was very surprised some of the things that were discussed in it. I was very surprised at, at the volume of incidences that were being talked, and the fact that uh, you know the majority of those were being talked about were in the last two years. And, yeah. and more importantly, you know, it explicitly said these are, you know, from uh, 2004 to 2021. That means this is an ongoing thing. <laughs> you know, it, it came out six months into it. And so, you know, knowing how these are both prepared and all the eyes and all the hands that have to see it, everybody that has equities in it, in the intelligence community, uh, I was blown away because, you know, these are things, especially with the interest being what it was, uh, there's very little doubt in my mind. These are things that the president of the United States would have heard about. Hey, we're being ready to release this. He would have been briefed, you know, uh, multiple principles in, in, in all sorts of agencies. And so to have it signed off at that level, I was like, wow, because it's such a bureaucratic organization yeah. in the U.S. that it's remarkable that, that you could get that much out. Uh, I know that a lot of people felt like, well, you know, they wanted the pictures, the videos, they were hoping for like the Roswell bodies rolling out. But my <laughs> expectations before that weren't nearly that high. 
In fact, I had been fortunate to kind of uh, get a good pulse on the inner workings of what was going on in the task force and, you know, their feelings and, and what was going on there. And I knew there was some, there was some resistance to it. And yeah. so I knew that, uh, you know, I kind of, in a way, expected something much tamer because there was a lot of internal resistance towards even this preliminary assessment. And so I kind of expected, uh, you know, I think I, my prediction was four pages, including a cover page. And so I think we got seven and, and uh, that was impressive. I think it was, there was a lot more information in there than I ever expected. Yeah. No. And the thing is, as well, I think there was a briefing held with the House Intelligence Committee on June the 17th. And I think there were rumors about some of these people coming out of the meeting, you know, aghast with what they'd been told. Do you have any, you know, because that was speculation, obviously, do you have any idea or, you know, was it a good briefing? Were the pictures and videos? Because we just hear so many different things these days. You know, I, I wish I did. And here's the thing is that I consider myself, um, you know, being pretty well sourced on the subject when it comes to government, just just mainly from from good old gumshoe work and tracking down people, you know, employing tactics that are used in law enforcement and uh, and kind of knowing that world, knowing how to navigate it and speak the same language. So, so you know, I always tell people, <laughs> you're looking at me for UFOs or UAP. Really, it's the government. That's my that's my bag, baby. <laughs> you know, we, there's you know people like Micah write great pieces that are much more in depth and, and address the topic more than I do. But this is my bag because this is where I know. And so, uh, but one thing with that is that, um, you know, nobody in those capacities shares anything with me that would be considered top secret, classified, you know, something that is against the law. To sure. discuss. Yeah. And if it orders that, it's, it's not, you know, you know, I try to avoid that, quite frankly, because, you know, I know that it's not going to go there. So the information I get is is not classified. And, and when it comes to those briefings that went on with both the Senate Intelligence Committee or the House Armed Services Committee, those were closed door briefings, classified. And in that setting, uh, the only thing anyone can really talk about is a lot of what we saw in the news. You know, people coming yeah. out in their heads being like, wow, what is what the heck's going on here? But the actual true details that made them say that. You know, they, they remain somewhat of mysterious to me as well. And, and it's it's difficult uh, because you have to try to interpret the actions uh, that lawmakers take afterwards. And I think we've seen that with the recent uh, you know proposal of two different bills from two different committees. Um, yep. This is something they're taking seriously. So obviously, whatever they've seen, they consider to be serious. What that is, that's the big $10 million question. What is all the nitty gritty details they've been told that makes them feel that, you know, I wish that I knew other than I, I will say that it would mirror what I have come to uh, realize that the, the really the disposition or posture of the people who have worked it, let's say on the task force or other DOD elements that have examined this stuff just in the last couple of years, it mirrors that same kind of sentiment that like, no, oh, this is... <laughs> This is real. Like this is something that we've really got to look at. This is really going on. We really have uh, good evidence to substantiate. This is real. You know, beyond that is another question. But but it's not you know it's not swamp gas or seagulls or distant planes. Like this is a real thing. Um, that in itself uh, is, is pretty fascinating for me. Maybe that yeah. frustrates people. 
because they want me to find the Roswell bodies. But I'm like, that alone <laughs> is really the fact that you're willing to say, like, we ain't, we ain't got a clue. Um, that's <laughs> that's interesting because uh, you know there's a just a swath of capabilities to identify things that you you should be able to identify a lot even your your highly sophisticated stealth stuff you you should have something a little something yeah no absolutely and then so obviously you, you mentioned the two bills that we just saw the uh, s 2610 and hr 4350 you know do you think again it's speculation because then it's not set in stone what's going to happen with them yet do you do you foresee possible this permanent office becoming a reality I do. I, I don't see any. There's nothing in the, the ether here that would make me think that either one of those bills are not going to go through as is, as written, uh, primarily because, interestingly enough, especially in the United States, where in the last couple of years has been such a political just dumpster fire, like it's so polarized and everything is politicized and everybody takes a position and it's us against them. This particular topic, ironically enough, is one that's bipartisan. Like everybody seems Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians, like everybody seems to go, yeah, no, this is we need to look into this. <laughs> that alone is is, again, fascinating. You think about the things, uh, the the seemingly more significant issues, maybe more pressing issues that, that people can't get along with, like health care and all these other things. But yet this everybody's like, yeah, no, this, this is significant. So I don't I don't foresee there being any pushback in that. Obviously, it's still got to work its way through both uh, the House floor and the Senate before it's signed off as the president signed his law. But uh, there's nothing in the language of that that I would expect anybody to argue and bicker over. Um, nor does it, it set a specific uh, dollar amount in a line item. So sometimes you'll see them argue over the budgets, but that's when something's earmarked as X number of dollars for the F-35. So somebody would go, all right, that's way too much. But in this one, this is something that would, would appear to, to kind of fall into the, one of these catch-all science, technology, intelligence type deals. Uh, and because it is being uh, authored right now, that would fall under the undersecretary of intelligence. It would come out of the intelligence budget. And so okay. that part is interesting because we don't really know how much money they would have. So we don't have no. a good idea how big of an office, but I, I, I do. And I think that that's, um, you know, again, it, it, I don't think it's the quote unquote disclosure, a big reveal people want because they're not like, all right, everybody, you know, we're going to do a live show and bring out the bodies. <laughs> from but this, you know, you know, Ultimately, if this passes, you will have the first official, permanent, formal office solely designated to the UFOs or UAP since 1969 and the closure of Blue Book. And unlike Blue Book, I'll add, Blue Book was an Air Force endeavor. So you only have one branch of the government. This will be the first time uh, that the U.S. government is doing a department-wide under the Secretary of Defense. So, uh, you know... The best way I could put it for people to kind of, in terms of the sprawling complex that is the DOD, is if the DOD was Walmart, you know, Blue Book was ran out of one of the stores, one of the big stores, an outlet store. But now this office would be run out of headquarters. And so right. there's a little more muscle, there's a little more backing behind it. And so that in itself is <laughs> it's really fascinating, uh, and, you know, especially when you consider that they did close it in 1969, that the fact that it didn't just go away. And uh, you know, I've said it, 
if they closed it, when they closed it in 69, uh, you know, somebody forgot to let UFOs know because they didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't go away. And so it's, a, I, I think it will pass. And I think uh, it, it's a very, very interesting turning point, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And were there any specific details within either of the two bills that really stood out to you? Like, wow, they're actually going there. You know, I, no, it, it seemed very standard other than the, the, you know, for me, what I took away significant, especially with the UAP office was that, uh, you know, they were pretty explicitly saying this would have significant authority. And so you weren't going to have the ability that you, it would kind of carry the authority of the secretary of defense who, you know, other than the president, you know, he's the boss. And so you, you'd have this really broad really strong muscle behind it. I think that uh, I saw that, you know, whether it's on Twitter and all these other places that, uh, you know, they use the word wanting all the information, all the details, including, you know, you know, captured, blah, 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 exploit. Like exploit has become the buzzword right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that that's because most people interpret that exploit is to mean that uh, recovered UFOs, captured materials, like refers engineering yeah. um but coming from that world <laughs> the word exploit is not nearly as sexy as that you know it could be and i don't want to you know you don't want to brain on everybody's parade that is absolutely an aspect in which that could define but uh exploit is generally just used in is there any meaningful or useful information that can be ascertained and so when they talk about exploit it could merely be their running statistical analysis they've got all these uh, these sightings captured on film is there any usable information that can be gained from that that's exploited right. anything yeah. that you can use uh to give you an advantage but you know again at the same time in fairness uh if you recovered a crashed foreign technology whether it be russian or chinese or something else and you wanted to learn how it works indeed that would be exploited as well but but it, that the use of that word alone i think has, has generated a lot more attention than maybe it warrants as of right now i, I don't think that that meant that no one was kind of winking and saying hey he you know we've got them yeah i think one thing that i've noticed that a lot of people seem to be really disappointed because obviously it's going to all be classified this time around for the foreseeable so people are like oh well it's just going to get buried again I mean, do you think there's, uh, you know, a positive way we could, uh, you know, say tell people that it's 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 a still a positive step? Well, uh, you know, it's if anything else, it's legitimizing, and and I, and I have been, um, you know, I have been honest in my opinion, is saying to people that one thing that, that people should should understand is that a lot of what they expect when we're talking about where's the videos, where's the data, where's that, uh, I always find you're talking about something that represents a scientific endeavor. This is the intelligence community. They've 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 been clear from that from day one. <laughs> you know, this is who's running this show is the national security and intelligence community. These are not ventures that are that frankly care about anyone's idle curiosity, and, and and they're not here to provide information, and they're not for public consumption, so the public can choose. You know, they could care less what Mick West thinks. <laughs> I could. <laughs> 100% certainty in this case. They really don't care. They don't care uh, about the bickering that goes on in UFO Twitter. All that. Like, they just don't care because yeah. it's not in their per They're just like, yeah, whatever, dude. Think what you want. Like, they're, they're, There's nobody that, that on the task force that is working on this that like jumps on Twitter and is like, no, you're an asshole. It is real. Uh, you know, they don't care. 
and that, so the problem there is that means that this stuff is going to remain kind of what they're doing to a large degree. Uh, you know, there there's strong expectations that would remain hidden or you know, out of public eyes. Uh, you know, especially because in these sectors that you're looking at, so it doesn't matter if it's Chinese, Russian, or alien. You're looking at vulnerabilities to your national defense. You know, if something yeah. can fly with impunity and you don't know what it is, that's a vulnerability to your national defense. And that's not something you advertise because even if it is alien, suddenly your near peer competitors, uh, potential adversaries like, ooh, you know, here they leave a key underneath a rock by the back door. We can get in. So that's something that you're just not going to see advertised. Yeah. However, when you see that type of investment, there's some legitimacy to it. So, you know, it's not just some kooky, whatever people's kind of stigma or expectations are. And this is where I, I've said that I think it's incumbent upon now that uh, so the scientific uh, institutions should be the ones leading the charge in terms of, of that public, quote unquote, disclosure or, or providing that evidence, the data. Uh, you know, we have seen you know some positive things like the Galileo project being launched by uh Avi Loeb at Harvard, you know, I think yeah. those type of endeavors are, are very interesting because that is where, you know, unlike everything I just said about the defense and intelligence community, the scientific community is that opposite. In order to be legitimate, it must be public facing. Yeah. It must provide the data. It must show their results and how they arrived at those conclusions. And so, I, you know, I think that in my opinion now, having the muscle of the defense industry saying, yes, this is a real thing. I, I hope we see more Galileo projects or uh, obviously, you know, nobody's going to have as, as nice as stuff and surveillance as, as the government, as the U.S. government. But the U.S. government has uh, scientific components to it as well. You know, NASA yeah. being one of them. NASA saying that they were going to look into this. You know, so there are public forward facing you know, scientific components, both in government, both in public institutions or private individuals, private companies can come forward. I think that uh, may end up ultimately being the biggest impact simply because they, you know, in the right setting, there's nothing, they're unchained. You know, <laughs> there's no, Avi Loeb doesn't have an NDA. Avi Loeb doesn't worry about it. You know, they, I talked to them at the Galileo project and, you know, they said they, they have no desire whatsoever to work with anything classified. They don't want to deal with it because they want it to be public facing. Yeah. And, and so I hope that that's kind of where, uh, you know, maybe the next step will come. Um, but we'll see, uh, you know, at the same time, if, if I've learned nothing in this topic for the last couple of years covering it, it's that it doesn't really matter what I expect is going to happen because it's just, it's going to, you know, I think the DOD is going to do one thing and they just do something totally different. <laughs> and yeah, so, no. yeah. That this makes, time next sense. year, we may be talking about the the treasure trove of videos and and photos and data that the the DoD has just decided to release. Who knows? You know, it'd be interesting. I mean, I yeah. want to see it. <laughs> I think everyone does, and I think that's the thing that people now are they're taking their focus away from the government and they're looking at these scientific institutions, such as the Galileo Project, but also. People like um, UAPX as well, those mm -hmm. kind of entities, I think people are really switching their expectations on them and let's hope not too much. But yeah, I mean, what do you think? Sure. No, I, I, I do. And, and I think that um, I think that it's important that, that, you know, I recognize that there's nobody that has the 
technical capabilities or capacity to to gather data on, on other devices of unknown origin than the United States apparatus, so including its allies and everything. I realize that. But at the same time, you know, I think it's important to recognize that it, at least at face value. Uh, and, and if you looked at the just the preliminary assessment, and again, this is not just uh, a group of people who signed off on this. This is, you know, what was released was signed off by the Director of National Intelligence, the Secretary of Defense. I mean, there's a list of principal high level people who would have had to sign off on this, who agreed with that assessment saying, okay, we don't know. So what that tells you is even with that mass apparatus of surveillance and intelligence, they still don't know. So that doesn't preclude somebody like UAPX, the Galileo project from answering that question for the public, because it evidently doesn't matter if you've got a, you know, an RQ-180 spy drone, because you still don't know. <laughs> and so <laughs> it, uh, there is a lot of potential in there, especially given the fact that technologies are constantly becoming more available and cheaper. I mean, the, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's, it's probably a slightly more expensive than me or you could afford. The idea of having surveillance uh, satellites, having you know, to launch your own satellite. There's plenty of very small companies that are that are doing just that. So any one of those companies says, "Hey, you know what? Let's let's program one of these bad boys to start checking things out and see if we can find something." Uh, that's a real possibility. I think that that's uh, that exists, and that's something. It's only going to get better as we see AI. There's a lot of ways that I think. Um, the ability to, to examine this topic is just, uh, it's, it's definitely better than it was back in the 50s and 60s during the first efforts, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing you just mentioned there was you used the phrase devices of unknown origin. Now, this was a huge multi-part article accompanied with videos that you released uh, back in June. Can you talk us through what, why you did that and why you felt it was needed and, and the process behind it? Sure. Yeah. Th th that was something I, you know, I had been working on for a while, you know, not sitting down and putting it on paper, but just everything that goes into that. And so, you know, the, the initial story with the Puerto Rico um, UFO that happened back in the 60s, you know, I had a, originally talked to that witness and, and gotten that whole story over a year ago. So wow. <laughs> there's a lot of things that go into this. And I just felt like, you know, my plan, you the idea to, to, to really put that out came, only came a couple weeks before we started publishing <laughs> wow. because I just I knew that the, you know, it came at a time where there was significant media attention. I think 60 Minutes had just done their deal. Yeah. Uh, so you, you had a lot of attention going on, on the topic, but it was becoming breathless, meaning that it was everybody was competing for who could get out the latest kind of thing. Quick, quick, quick. And it wasn't very substantial. And I thought, you know, once this thing comes out, who knows what it's going to say, but I think it would be nice to give kind of a, a broad, larger, more comprehensive overview of this topic without going into the weeds and having to write a book. So, you, you know, so just use one case that demonstrates this is not something new. You know, this yeah. is something that it has gone on back to the 60s. Here, in fact, here is a military eyewitness in that case. Uh, in addition to the fact, we have radar data. We have pilot video. In a ways, it was very similar to the Nimitz. Yeah. Without, we didn't have the gun camera, you know. But 
very much similar. And in fact, in this case, we, we had the scope images, <laughs> uh, which we included, we published it there. So we had all this information. And th I thought it was interesting for people to realize this is, this is A, not new. So this is a lingering thing. And then also to get some clarification on, you know, bringing it to the modern day. And that was the, the, the second part of that, where I just featured Ryan Graves. Yeah. Is uh, I had spoken to him in, in I you know, felt like he, he was such a compelling eyewitness in growing up and being around people in the military and knowing you, you, you recognize like this is a guy who's got his stuff together. Like this is, this is a solid guy. And so I felt like that aspect of it needed to be conveyed, just focusing on him. So, so kind of uh, let people know, Hey, this isn't new and we've got plenty of data. There was plenty of opportunities going back to the sixties. And then now today, this is ongoing. Uh, and it was it was advantageous that that, you know, Graves encounters were, were relatively close to, to Puerto Rico, relatively close to this first incident. So, you know, we've gotten some connection there and then kind of rounded out with um, my interview with uh, Ray Mavis, who's a former secretary of the Navy, who's the second longest secretary of the Navy in U.S. history. And uh, really somebody who has held numerous high level positions. Um, both as the, the governor uh, and of Mississippi down to the ambassador to Saudi Arabia. And, and so as a secretary of the Navy, I was fortunate because I had spoken to Ray several times before I ever started talking to him about UFOs, you know, talking about just Navy issues and his time as the secretary of the Navy. Mm. And he's one of the nicest people in the world. It's, it's <laughs> you, you kind of forget that this guy held these kind of positions because it's, it's, it's like sitting on your porch with your neighbor. Like it's just, he's a really great, <laughs> And I thought it was very interesting because he, in that position, you know, acknowledged, hey, oh, yeah, these things happen. You know, I'd seen these videos, but even he didn't know what they were and was kind of at a loss for what are these things, you know, yeah. and he's tried to seek those answers. It got lost. And, and I thought it was important to convey from from his side because it, it, it matched and mirrored so many other, uh, you know, senior officials who I've spoken to, you know, whether it's on background or on the record uh, about this topic where they say, you know, I'm always like, well, what do you mean? It just ended with, I, I don't know. Everybody's like, it's weird. I don't know. And they're always, you know, the kind of sentiment is, yeah, I know. I guess in hindsight saying that now it sounds bad, but you know, what they want to convey it to people is you got to understand is that at this same time, when I'm getting, you know, briefed on this, I've got North Korea saying they're going to bomb us. I've got Syria going up in flames. I've got Afghanistan going in turmoil. There's so many things that's impressing and in fact, seem life or death. You know, there's people chanting death to America and they're going to bomb us. And so yeah. they're just like, whatever it is, it's not bombing us. And so, you know, my focus and, uh, you know, th in the same vein, you know, lots of people saying, you know, it's just outside the box of what you're, you're trained to do or trained to deal with. So, I mean, th I think people have this image or view of what somebody, once they reach general or the secretary of the Navy, like, well, they've got all the answers. Like they're going to grab the phone and say, ah, oh, damn it, you've <laughs> solved the problem for me. Uh, but these are people who have, you know, largely grown up and, and they've gotten their experience, their life to reach the positions that they're in. You yeah. know, you, you're on the joint chiefs of staff, like you've arrived, like you did it. Uh, you, you probably went to, to West Point or one of the military academies. You spent your life for this moment. 
you know how to uh, fight warfare, you know how to war game, you know how to strategize, you know how to try to make your forces put in the best position that if they have to go into a conflict, they'll win. And then you throw something like this in the mix. Well, this isn't something they teach at the War College. You know, this isn't something <laughs> they teach at West Point. And, and I, I've often said that, it, again, it may not sound like the best thing, but I can absolutely see how, you know, if you're talking about the Joint Chiefs or you're talking about a combat commander who this comes across their desk to say, yeah, this is this is a really, really important and really, really significant. And I really want you to hand this to the next guy that gets in my chair. Because once you reach that level, you got four years before, you know, and then it's, you're done. Like you've yeah. reached the mountain and then it's just off to playing golf all day and you've reached it. And so the idea of saying, this is outside of what I know how to deal with. Uh, maybe I've thought my whole life, this is BS and you're telling me it's real. And I don't really know how to deal with this. So I'm not going to. <laughs> it's kind of like a of laundry that you've got piled up that you want to fold, but you're just like, I don't even want to start. Like it just keeps piling up so high that it's going to be a pain in the ass now. So I'm just going to ignore it and keep ignoring it. And so that was, you know, hopefully, you know, that was what I was going for in that. And then a lot of people keep asking me about part four. Yeah, I was going to bring I, that up. <laughs> you know, I'm pull, I'm pulling a a George C. Martin here. You know, the <laughs> Uh, on on my part four, where, where you're you're lingering and they're Tim's gonna be an old man and die before part four. <laughs> and that was uh, purposefully done. And so, I mean, typically four is an odd number. Anyway, you know, you think of a trilogy, you're like, what? You know, it, well, there's no such thing as a four part series. What is it? There's <laughs> part, you know, it's what is this dude doing? And that was kind of purposely done because the first three kind of set the stage and that part four, uh, the intent behind that is maybe to offer some resolution to all, all of it. And that hasn't, you know, it hasn't cooked enough to come to ready to present, you know, so we don't have that resolution. So, you know, unless you watch the HBO series, you don't know what happens with the, with the white walkers and, in Game of Thrones, uh, you know, so it's not dead, you know, it's not dead yeah. or anything, like that, but it was always something that I, you know, I, I realized in doing this, there's a, I didn't break the mold too much. The first three were supposed to kind of stand alone and you could walk away with them. The part four was going to be some resolution and different things. And, and, and interestingly enough, that's a, <laughs> Not interestingly, anybody who's followed this topic, that's not always easy. And so it's fine. Can you find any resolution? Maybe not tell people what they are, but can you find some resolution that someone can move forward to? And so that's the goal with part four. But but uh, I totally understand why. But that's why I said I'm 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 pulling a George C. Martin here. I'm the dude that everybody's like, are you gonna finish the series? What's happening? <laughs> No, that's good. I think everyone would appreciate that clarification. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. Um, uh, a case that I actually wanted to speak to you about that I've been really following closely since it happened was the the Tucson drone case, um, you know, with the helicopter and stuff like that. What What are your thoughts on that case? Because I keep switching between drone and then back to UAP, and it's a bizarre you know one. You know, I, and I'll say up front, I haven't followed it as much as uh, probably people would have liked. Um, I think Brett Tingley, who's who's a friend of mine, has done a great job keeping that and hounding that in the war zone. Yeah. And so, 
you know, and, and I'm good friends with Tyler over there who runs the war zone. So it's one of those weird things where uh, media companies aren't nearly as competitive at times. Sometimes they get along and so you're like, hey, you guys are doing great work and I'm going to focus my energy on something else. So I haven't really dug into it, but okay. I think Brett's done great work with it. Uh, down to the fact that I think just recently his, his piece where they had the report from the Border Patrol, or maybe it was the Tucson police, but either the latest report that came out where they identified it as a quadcopter. So suddenly you're like, okay, this is probably a drone. Then. I mean, well, <laughs> obviously it's a drone. Um, but the preceding reports sound interesting because you're talking about high performance. It, it's outperforming a helicopter. It's outperforming all these types of things. I think that there's definitely... A lot of things still lingering there. Uh, yeah. you know, flight time. I mean, you know, even if we're talking about quadcopter, like what the heck kind of quadcopter is this? Um, so it's interesting. It's interesting uh, because it, you know, knowing what I know, that even though it's it's written in a report that it's a quadcopter and you've seen rotor blades, doesn't necessarily mean there is. I mean, it's not easy to see things uh, yeah. in the air like especially when they're small. It's not e easy to get distinguishable features on something. Uh, you know, case in point, it's not easy. That's the thing when people get it, you know, frustrated. Well, if their UFOs existed, you know, why don't we have any good photos of them? I, I hear that a lot. Yes. And um, we'll go out, you know, I challenge those same people. You know, everybody's got a cell phone nowadays. Why don't we have any other good videos or videos? Go outside and try to film a commercial airplane flying at 35,000 feet with your iPhone and tell me what that looks like. Now try to do that at nighttime and tell me what that looks like. Uh, and that's just, you know, now we're talking about an object that is 350 feet in length and with a wingspan of 300 feet. So we're talking about a very large object. Yeah. And you're on that at 35,000 feet. Now, if you're talking about something smaller than that, you know, tell me what that looks like. And so, uh, you know, something that small at great distances or great speeds, even when you're in the air in the helicopter, uh, I'm not certain that you could get a really good, clear image of what you're looking at, even, even with the assistance of, of something like FLIR. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like everybody else right now. I'm kind of tuning in because there, there's still some unanswered questions. Cause even if it's going to be a drone, well, who the heck is <laughs> you know, who's flying a drone out there like that? No, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And another case that I actually heard you talking about the other night with uh, the guys at the unidentified celebrity review. And this is something I've tried to look into is the Mussolini UFO cases from 1930s where, you know, the, he had the organization RS-33 looking into the subject, apparently. But we've only really seen three telegrams with regards to a potential crash in Milan. But mm -hmm. I heard you talking about it, and I th it felt like you had a little bit more information or, or were aware of more information. Well, I don't know if I'm aware of any more information. I, right. I was made aware of the case because I think uh, I was asked about the fact that I believe uh, Luis Elizondo mentioned it about this 1933 crash retrievals or something, these telegrams. Yeah. And yes, I think I was asked, well, do, you, do you know what that's up? And I'm like, actually, I do, because I had just come back from there and I had just talked to the, the people who were organizing uh, Project Titan and this whole UN push to, to or try to push to get San Marino to propose a UAP world conference uh, to the United Nations. And so I had kind of gotten the same information. 
uh, it, it's not something that I've had an opportunity to dig really deep into other than, uh, you know, I believe that uh, the copies of like the telegrams and everything I got is probably the same as what's out there publicly. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting because, you know, who, who was talking to me about it were representatives uh, of the Italian government and who, who are interested in this aspect of it. But we're like, you know, this is stuff that's been uncovered in, in archives and everything here uh, in terms of like what happened to whatever. It, uh, if something crashed, uh, you know, that remains a mystery. Uh, so, I mean, that side of it is interesting uh, because these officials seemingly should have been able to figure out. They seem they should know if there's a uh, if Italy had a crashed UFO. I think that uh, it is something that I'll, I will probably look into more in depth here in, in the more near future, simply because I, I've gotten a good opportunity of, of not living too far from Italy and having some good contacts there. And it presents a, an interesting kind of conundrum to the idea of crash retrievals or, or you know, these object crash or just period that you can recover something tangible from it. Because, you know, on one side, I think it's easy to say that the idea of crashes and crash retrievals all stem from Roswell. It's a giant myth. This is all just a huge myth. Um, but as you see, there, you're, you're talking about 1933. You're, you're talking about... Uh, before really this idea of quote flying saucers had taken off it's not a you know this isn't in the zeitgeist and so that makes it very interesting it makes it interesting that it, it even in the in 1933 it's being presented that way in telegrams you know it would seemingly this is before uh this kind of popular the roswell popularity so I think it's even, you know, before the flying saucer popular. I mean, we're, we're talking about even before Foo Fighters. So this is really early on. Uh, so I think it's an interesting case. And uh, it, it's unfortunate, it, like so many of these historical cases, because you run into this point where for somebody like me, you, you, you lack eyewitnesses because people, you know, this was 80 years ago. People have passed away. They're no longer living. And so you're like, well, what happened to, you know, what the heck happened here? Uh, if, you know, whatever was covered, even if it was just some kind of spy blimp from somebody from, you know, what, what happened? Um, and I don't know that it's, it's one of those difficult ones that I don't know if you can get that answer, but I think it's interesting that the fact that it's even out there and given the time frame. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then you mentioned as well their Project Titan with San Marino. I mean, what are your thoughts on that as a whole? You know, do you see it um, becoming anything? Um, I Well, I think right now it's in the hands of the San Marino government. And yeah. I don't really have any any uh, indication elsewhere whether they're going to pick it up and, and take it forward. Um you know, part of I hope they do because I think it's interesting to, to see the entire UAP topic enter more of a global discussion because I think that it's so monopolized by this discussion by the United States and the United States, the United States. Um, you know, it's U.S. sacred technology. Evidently, the U.S. doesn't give a shit about anybody's airspace. They just fly everywhere. And so, uh, you know, if it is only bound in the U.S., well, then we can narrow it down. It is the U.S. But that's not the case. You know, people across the world see it. And so, uh, you know, it would be nice because they, they, living in Europe, I'm fortunate 
to, to have the opportunity to talk to people uh, outside of the U.S. And it's always striking to to get some really great stories that come from other places and, and yeah. kind of see some consistency. Uh, it, it's 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 especially interesting to to be able to talk to people you know, that are aren't in English speaking countries, and so there seems this kind of consistency. Uh, and so I think that they're accurately you know, saying in order to solve this, it needs to be a global type thing. We, we've got to be able to piece this data together better than, than just what's going on now. And so I hope to see it uh, come to fruition. I know in, in speaking you know, to the organizers um, in depth, talking to them considerably, it's something that's being done very well. It's very professionally presented there. It's very well coordinated. So it's not just this kind of ad hoc, like, you know, it's not one of these where people jump on and sign a petition and everybody's going to storm Area 51, you know, like <laughs> Facebook <laughs> invite. Uh, it, it was, it, it is being put forward just like you would any other issue. You know, the only thing that people might think is weird about it is that it involves UFOs. You know, if they were talking about world hunger or climate change, like, oh, this is a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, of course we need to do this. So uh, I, I certainly hope that it goes forward. Uh, I think that the same kind of group of individuals uh, certainly aren't limiting them limiting themselves to just the UN. And so I know there are some other uh, larger European organizations and, and different kind of global organizations that they're equally trying to get to establish something that would formalize this, that would provide an opportunity for people across the world to kind of come together and solve this problem. Uh, again, I think it's kind of the extension of what I said earlier that I, I really do think is important is this more public facing scientific approach to it rather than just all the governments, you know, because uh, you know, there's no doubt in my mind. In fact, I, I know for a fact the the U.S. Uh, side of things has, uh, to an extent, coordinated with allies. They have briefed, their, especially their closest allies, like with the, the, the Five Eyes Network. So the U.K., Canada, Australia, New Zealand. You know, they have discussed it with uh, through some of their uh, East Asian partners, uh, South Korea, Japan. They have talked about it. <clears throat> But this is not something, again, it's not, they don't show uh, the Five Eyes chatting on your local news station. So sure. this is more kind of private conversation. So I think it would be extremely nice to see something in the, the public uh, format for it. And so I'm hopeful, uh, but it's hard for me to predict what uh, the San Marino officials will. I hope they do. If they're, if they're listening, uh, you know, I, I, I told the organizers, I think that uh, San Marino, uh, uh, is a little known country landlocked in Italy that happens to be uh, the current still running longest uh, nation, nation state um, in the world. And so what better? I, I'm sure there was a lot of people that read that article who went, San Marino, where's that? <laughs> in fact, I, I got fussed at initially because I said, isn't San Marino Italy? Like, aren't, I thought this was a city in Italy. No, it's not. Okay, my bad. And so, you know, I think that there's potential for it as a, a government to, uh, you know, hosting something like a world conference where they're talking about would be very beneficial. So it's one of those interesting things where uh, even if they're not all on board with the, the UAP thing yet, maybe just the idea of being a hub where, where this type of thing could go on, where you could have legitimate researchers and people discuss this in a global forum backed by the UN. They go, hey, yeah, this is a good move. 
make some tourism dollars if nothing else <laughs> yeah i think that'd be great for san marino specifically definitely but i mean i think it's going to take time personally because we've we're here in the uk the conversation is, is certainly not public whatsoever almost like we're the the furthest behind it seems you know, I brought this up on Twitter the other day, generated a lot of attention. It is absolutely I true. Saw it. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that's true. That, that in talking to uh, people, you know, officials inside governments, different governments, so not just the United States, um, who said, man, the UK is the biggest blocker in this stuff, like doesn't want, uh, you know, doesn't want it even doesn't want us discussing it. <laughs> I mean, not only do they not want to discuss it, and I thought, man, it's so weird because it was different countries universally, uh, you know, down to the fact that, um, you know, I, that there uh, had been some resistance to even assisting the UAP task force out of the government here, you know, which is really interesting. I, people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think that it's, it's interesting. I, I've asked some people that, that come from the, the UK intelligence side of things, some people who have, and, and we've reported on, who have said, yeah, no, no, there were briefings by the UAP task force. You know, I attended three of them. You know, I was like, well, what did your colleagues think? They're kind of like, nah. <laughs> you know, they were like, I think this is very, very interesting. Like, this is fascinating. Like, this is not something that I was considering or thinking about beforehand but but coming in this fashion in such a formalized manner suddenly i'm like what's going on here and and but my colleagues are just like eh, whatever so i don't <laughs> i don't really you know, i don't know what that means other than uh, uh cultural institutional just kind of maybe goes back to that uh um what i was saying as to why the same thing would happen in the hierarchy of the united states where you're like yeah maybe but like this is you know, not this is outside of my purview of what I do. And, you know, I'm, I'm focused on this and there's these threats. There's the, these real world threats. Let's worry about that. I don't know. It is. It's It's particularly interesting, given how much it's being discussed in the United States, because, uh, you know, the UK and the United States are very, very, very close. And especially in the intelligence community. So like, there's a lot of. Um, liaison sharing and so you have people out of uh, like gchq uh, or mi5 or mi6 who you know they come over and do stints in the united states yeah. it's very very common for uh people from gchq to come and spend two or three years working in the nsa and likewise somebody from the nsa going to gchq like it's very they're you know the uk and the us are really the closest when it comes to especially in intelligence and so you you it, not just you know, formal briefings. So you're getting your formal briefing, but informally, there's no two countries that have better informal ties that you would expect uh, people from either side to be sitting around the water cooler saying, hey man, did you, just, did you see 60 Minutes last night? Did you, uh, you know, did you see this or that? Or did you check out such and such on whatever drive share folder? What's going on? And um, it, it just seems like that's not going on, but uh, I will caveat all of that to saying that, uh, understandably i'm not privy to, to even a you know, i'm privy to a very small fraction of of anything remotely and so though that was the impression given to me by several people that doesn't necessarily mean it's completely accurate you know right. for all i know you the us and uk like 
so many other issues. They may strap in like the three-legged race and, and they may be looking at UAP together hand in hand. And it goes, I guess it goes back to, uh, to what I said very early on is that uh, they are seriously investigating it. And so me saying, man, the UK doesn't seem to care. They may be very, very intimately involved and I'm unaware of that. And they just don't care what I, <laughs> they're like, yeah, let him think what he wants. I don't care. Like I have a job to do. I hope so. I do hope so. Cause it's, uh, there are such close ties there. And I think, um, in so many, so many facets, I think that, uh, down to the fact that, that the UK would, would probably, uh, and, and probably has been able to tell them that it's most, that it's not likely Russian because their yeah. intelligence in the Russian sector is, is, you know, they rely on that considerably. And so I'd imagine that a minimum, the, you know, conversations beyond the, even the people that I've spoken to, uh, that, that part has probably gone on because the UK has such a really good pulse on Russia. And so it, those, when they say that it's, uh, likely not Russian or Chinese, that's probably, so there, there probably is some more sharing. Yeah, let's hope so. And I think it is just going to be a bit of a patience and waiting game. So yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, ironically enough, after I made that tweet, I didn't I didn't expect too much attention, but I actually got uh, some emails from from reporters that I know that work in the UK. They're like, hey, let's let's jump on the phone and chat because, you know, I uh, saw what you said and let's, um, you know, maybe you can help me out a little bit. Let's see what we can figure out. And so, you know, that, that I think that's positive that, that you're going to see that because oftentimes that's where the media, the power of a free press comes in is they can kind of push what the public is interested in or what the heck's going on here. Yeah, God, it's just frustrating because, like you said, we <laughs> the UK we've always followed and hung on the coattails of the US, followed everything they do, and it just would have been the natural progression for us to follow in the the discussion with about UAP. It's it's, it's weird. It, it is weird. I, I think I, I said that in my tweet. I said I did. You know, the the UK um, went straight into the Iraq War with the United States, which is people are still wondering why we went to war there. People are still like, I don't know why. I still hadn't <laughs> figured it out. Uh, and even kind of defended the reasons. And, you know, the UK uh, has always been, you know, really America's strongest ally. There's great teamwork there. There's great camaraderie, great partnership. And so, um, you know, that in talking my tweet out loud just now in this interview, it makes me think more that there probably is more behind the scenes going on there probably is better coordination just down to the fact that it, it's kind of like it's kind of like your best buddy maybe they're into something kooky that you're not into but it's your best <laughs> buddy so you're like all right you you know you you want to start weaving bracelets all right well show me what's going on and so you know like you do it because it's your best buddy and so i would think in that regard there probably is and i think especially if you have a uap office and as things get more formalized um you kind of have to, you know, and I mean, the last thing that you want, and I think that uh, I've talked to a lot of people from the UFO community who live in the UK and they talk about a lot of the pressure that they've put on political yeah. officials. And I think that that's a good thing because I can tell you from, from working in a localized government aspect, the last thing that you want is to be asked something by your elected officials that you don't have an answer to. So if you can get anybody to call down to the Ministry of Defense and say, what is going on with this and everything? Um, the last thing that you want is to, to provide with an unsatisfactory answer. And yeah. so you know, that that can have impact. 
because if nothing else, it forces them to have an answer for somebody. Absolutely. Well, listen, Tim, we're just about hit an hour now. So before we finish, have you got anything you want to discuss as far as what's coming up in the future? Any plans or goals or aims for the debrief? Gosh, there's a laundry list. I've always got so much going on. That's my problem. There's not enough. There's not enough hours in the day. And uh, I do have some 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 interesting uh, UAP related stuff that's in the works that uh, hopefully we'll get out on paper. You know, the, definitely the goal is to get it out there before the end of the year. A couple right. of things. Um, you know, in terms of the debrief, we you know we're uh, we're about to hit our year one mark. So we'll try to go out with a bang, try to get some some great new stories, get out there, maybe get some some other stuff, uh, some new aspects of it um, as we just kind of continue to grow. We're kind of at that stage where we're, we're finalizing, you know, year two projection. And I think just making it to year one, it, it, oddly enough, sounds like an achievement because you're like, oh, we did it. And we don't want to kill each other. And we don't hate it. And we don't want to throw our hands up. In fact, we're, we're, we're still growing and people seem to be enjoying what we're doing. Yeah. And so there's a lot of different things um, that are in the works in terms of the debrief collectively uh, to see year two and growth and different aspects. I don't want to get into too much of that just because some of it might co not come to into fruition in year two. It'll turn into like part four of devices. I know people are like, where the <laughs> hell is that thing you promised? But there are some certainly some things and, and, our, and I'm very, very fortunate to be surrounded by some great people uh, that that put in really great work and have great ideas. And so, uh, you know, me, I might be like, no, nah, I just want to hang out. Why do we got to keep doing this? But they, they push and they say, no, let's do this. Let's do that. And so we'll definitely be some great things coming there. I would say, uh, you know, hopefully October, November, uh, 1st of December, we'll, we'll try to have some big, some big stuff coming out, some new stories. That's usually my target. Anyway, people get frustrated. Yeah. I usually take the summers off. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like a reverse bear in hibernating. I hibernate in the summers <laughs> and then get more active in the winter months. <laughs> ah, that's great. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us and doing this dual live stream. I just yeah, want to give a shout out to everyone as well that's watching and probably been asking questions. I just haven't been able to pay attention. So I, I apologize for that, but I hope you've enjoyed it. And um, yeah, Tim, stay in touch. It'd be great to communicate and um, everybody go and check out the debrief. Is it the debrief.com? Dot org. So Debrief.org. Yep. Yeah, and, yeah. Yep. And, uh, and I appreciate then, it, man. Anytime, no worries. Man. Hey, take care. Thank you, everyone. And let's uh, speak soon. Yeah. Cheers. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.